Man, I am so glad I don't have to look at a camera this morning. Uh, so good to see y'all. First couple of weeks trying to do, looking at that camera to re- record a sermon for y'all. I asked Jonathan, I said, I can't look at a camera and preach. I said, I, I just don't know how to do that. I said, can you get me a picture of the congregation? And he brought me several pictures of you guys that he already had. And we set those up right behind the camera so I could... I could look at uh, some of your faces. So some of you were, you know, Joe Nava, you're on front row. I was looking at you, man, the whole time. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was, it, it's tough. It's a whole lot more fun to be in a room full of uh, live people and not just your photograph. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Love to uh, go through that text with you. But as I was thinking about what, what do I preach on for the first um, uh, Sunday back, and there was lots of things I wanted to preach on, I wanted to address, but then I didn't know who was going to show up and whether that would be appropriate. And the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it. I said, you know, I want us all to come back to the family of God's and to God's house with just passionate love for one another, that we are the church loving one another and embracing one another and to, if, if that's my passion that God's put on my heart for you, I thought, I got to deal with the elephant in the room. I mean, the big elephant in the room is that, you know, what's, what's the thing nobody's talking about? And the thing nobody's talking about is, is for us to do that. We've got to deal with divisiveness. Divisiveness is as big as I've seen it in my lifetime uh, in America everywhere, and we're divided over this pandemic and our views about it. I mean, even this room has been set up differently this morning, and it's awkward for us. It's been set up to make certain people feel comfortable. And then there's this other group of people, it makes us feel uncomfortable. And nobody sometimes wants to talk about the other side, except that the other side, the people who think it's more comfortable, and then you think it's less comfortable, well, if, if you're not on my side, you're crazy. You know, your view is a crazy view. My view is the right view. And that goes on and on and on with so many things. Do we wash hands or not wash hands? Do we use sanitizer or not use sanitizer? Do we use masks or not wear masks? Do we socially distance or we don't socially distance? Do we stay home or do we go out? Do we have more concern or do we have less concern? And I bet every single one of you have divided views, not only in your own home, but certainly on your own street and certainly in the church. I mean, there's so many different views on how you should behave right now. And it's created a a divided families. It's created divided nation. It's created divided churches. And so if we are to be the church of God, how great it would be if the world would look at us and see unity, see oneness, see a togetherness, say... That church, the church of Christ, they may have different views, but they are so at peace with one another. They are so united. They're so in love with one another. God tells us in his word, even Jesus prayed about it in John 17. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one, that they would be so united that the world would see them and see the love I have for them. 
And that's my prayer for us. There's a way forward for us. Um, if you are divided, does anybody, I'll do it easy. I'll make the survey easy. Does anybody not know somebody that disagrees with them on this view? No. Everybody knows somebody that disagrees with you. So you are divided with someone over your views. What's your plan for unity? What's your plan for peace? With those people, you are divided. Now, some of us are divided, and it's, it's, it's an easy divide. I get that. And some people we're divided with, and it's not an easy divide. I mean, you're ready to fight over certain things. What's your plan? Is the plan to fight, or is the plan to be at peace? Is the plan to be one? And I want to give you... Philippians 4, because it's a place where we can go for a plan for peace and unity. And the world is not asking how, even the riots today, I don't, I don't hear the newscasters saying, what's the plan for peace? They just want to talk about what's the plan for me being right and the other party being wrong. Instead of what's the plan for unity? plan for coming together and for the plan for peace. That's what we need. That's how the church can be revived, and that's how the church can go forward with a great ministry for our nation. Let me uh, just kind of work you through some of Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Let's hear the first verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Notice how it starts. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see. Man, I have been longing to see your faces. And many of you, you've been longing to see one another. That's important for us. and It's important for us to be together. And Paul said, man, I, I wanted to, to do that because you're my joy and my crown. I mean, I've spent so much time with you as I was, you know, I told you I, I parked in the hospital parking lot making room for, for our guests uh, this morning. And so I was walking up the, the back uh, driveway to our, into the entrance seeing the, the, the great building, God facilities God's given us here. And knowing that, you know, 600 plus chairs are set out here this morning saying, God, you have you filled this place so many times and done so much on this 15 acres of land. So many lives have been changed. Lives have been saved. Marriages have been restored. Kids have been brought to faith in Christ. Families have been brought to unity. I mean, so much has happened here in God's house. What a joy. What a crown. That's what Paul's talking about here. You're my joy. You're my crown. And when I see you, I just, I'm excited because I, I see the work of God in and through you and in and through this place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So don't you long for that? Yes, we do. Then his next command, first command that he gives is stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, we love each other. 
our loved ones, what I want you to do is I want you to stand firm in the Lord. That doesn't mean stand still. It's difference. Standing firm means don't stand off track. Don't slip. Don't move to the right or to the left. Stand firm where? In the Lord. The thing that has grieved me, nobody's asked me this question, so I'll ask myself, okay? David, what has grieved you most during this pandemic? The thing that has grieved me most during this pandemic is people come to me and they say, what's your view on this? What's your view on that? And we all have divided views. I know as soon as I share mine, you probably disagree, and then there's divide. What I would rather have, the question I'd rather have is, what would be our position in the Lord? What does the Lord say during this pandemic? What would it mean to stand firmly on the scriptures? It didn't say stand firm in CDC interim guidelines. It didn't say stand firm in what WHO, the World Health Organization, would recommend. It says stand firm in the Lord. What is that? And that's the right position. That's where we need to be. And that's what the world desperately is hungry for. If they hunger and thirst, they hunger and thirst for the Lord. So they must see people who are not presenting our views, the world's views, CDC views, but the Lord's views. Stand firm in the Lord. It's really a whole other message, to, or more, more, to think through that. But I encourage you, start getting, what is the Lord's view of health? What is the Lord's view of virus? I gave you a message online of 12 reasons why God often ordains virus for you, pain for you. So obviously our goal in life cannot just be to be virus free if it might be his will for us to have it at times. What is our view in the Lord? And the command is to stand firm in that view, not your view and not my view and not someone else's view, but to be able to back up our standing with God's word and what God says. So he gives us that uh, very important command. If we're not going to have peace, we're not going to have unity until we learn to stand firm in the Lord, not standing still. Not taking sides, taking the Lord's stand. And then he gives us five principles, verses 2 through 9, to base our stand upon, our stand for unity. And I, I'll, I'll read the whole text and then come back through it. But he's, he immediately says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord, verse 2, I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He starts developing this phrase, in the Lord, through the text. And you'll see the phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ, like seven times in nine verses here. It's a very significant part of it. 
to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, or Syzygos, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord's near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and catch this last phrase, and the peace, the God of peace will be with you. Notice the the entire paragraph is about harmony. And it's about peace. He starts with there's a problem of not being in harmony. And he ends with, I want you to have the peace of God. That's where he's leading us. The whole text is around this theme of not being divided, but being united. There's so many popular verses that come out of this. We've snatched them out that we've, you've probably been unaware of or just missed the whole context. You know, this, like verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's become a song. We, we, we sing it. Um, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. We rip that out. Uh, the context is a divided church that needs to be united and experience the peace of God. And all of these verses are part of the way forward. This is your plan. Are you divided with someone? What's your plan? You've got to stand firm in the Lord, and you've got to follow these principles. The first principle that must be followed there in verse 2 is to recognize, and I think, yeah, we've got them up there. This is your bulletin this morning. It's also on the Version app, but this is your bulletin. So the first principle is to understand that division or divisiveness when it occurs with you in the church, in your family, in your marriage, it is a matter of crisis. And you must recognize it as crisis. Now, how do I see that in the text? Look at uh, verse 2. Notice the word urge. That's a strong word. I urge Yodia. And I, uh, there it is again, urge Syntyche. To live in harmony. Those, he didn't just say, I want one of you to get your act together. No, both of them are urged. That same word we use, it's urgent. Urgently get into a mindset of living in harmony. It's not something you put off for a while. You know, I have people sometimes come to me for counseling. And like, let, let's take a, a married couple and they come and say, you know, What's the problem? Why are you here? Uh, well, we just can't get along anymore. We can't even talk to one another. We can't communicate. Okay. Um, well, how long has that been going on? <sighs> since, I guess, since we got married, really. How long have you been married? 20 years? What? Our parents come and say, we just can't talk to our teenagers anymore. They just, 
I said, well, okay, how long has this been going on? Well, ever since they became a teenager. Well, how long have they been a teenager? Uh, three years. What? You see, you're not seeing this as a crisis. If you let it go three years, if you let it go 20 years, you don't have in your mindset that this is a crisis. I urge you to do something about it now. This is not something you let go. We, we get out in our minds sometimes, time's a healer. I'll just let this go. Maybe it'll work its way out. God says, no. I urge you. You got two ladies in this church that Paul's writing to that are divided. He says, I, he says let me just stop what I'm doing, my sermon right now. He says, and I want to call them out by name. You want me to start doing that? I'll see. I, I'll pick on you. Adam and Joseph, I heard you had a fight. Adam and er, Joseph, I urge you, you know, work it out. You know, it's, it's that kind of call out that this is a crisis. It's such a big deal that I tell the whole church. And I call them out by name. I urge you to fix this. Uh, think about, you know, there's a lot of stuff in our relationships. We can live at one with one another because we have love for one another and we allow a lot of things to, to come between us and, and, and it's not a deal, a big deal. It's not divisive. So see, see between you and another person a, a river flowing nicely. And in that river, there's, there's lots of things but, that make up our relationship. And, we have, and so we bridge that river so that we can communicate with one another and love one another. We allow the debris, the, the sins of life to flow between us without constantly being at each other's throats. That's, that's the way we live. But at some point, this person that we're communicating with and we love, it's our spouse or our brother or our sister or our fellow believer in Christ. At some point, a log falls against the bridge. It's, it's a big deal. Something we strongly disagree with, with each other. That's what we're talking about. Crisis. Now, now we're not communicating. Now, we don't, now we're letting stuff go. Now we don't want to spend as much time with. Crisis. And what Paul is saying is, I urge you, get, move the log. Move the log. If you don't move the log that's fallen... And it's up against the bridge. What happens? All that stuff you were letting go, bye. It starts now attaching itself to the log, right? It has a barrier. And more and more stuff attaches to the log. And more and more pressure is put onto the bridge. And at some point, what happens? The bridge is gone. Because you didn't deal with the log. It destroys you eventually. Little by little, the pressure will destroy the bridge. That's why it's a crisis. It's a whole lot easier to move the lock than it is to rebuild the bridge. Now, you can rebuild bridges, but that's tough. Try to come into a situation where people have already divorced and say, let's get back together. That's tough. When we could have done this 20 years ago and just moved the lock. If you know people that are strongly divided from you, what's your plan? First of all, you've got, that's why I say you've got to recognize this is a crisis. 
We're going to see more and more explosive moments of destruction in our society if we don't step in and say, no, there's a way forward. There's a way of peace. And we must tackle it. Tackle it in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. And people begin to see, hey, that person knows how to live with others. They deal with the right stuff at the right time. They understand the crisis. Second principle that I want to give you in this passage is the principle of community. That we have to realize that we all have a part. Unity and peace, it's a matter of community. It's not a private affair. We want to say, well, that's, that's, that's their trouble. Let, let them deal with it. And God says, no, 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 no. Notice, notice verse 3. Um, well, the end of verse uh, 2 says, I want Yodia and Zentiki, I want you to live in harmony. Indeed, and then you have this, my translation, true companion. Now, what's going on there? I, I, as I read it, I, I said, I would translate it Sizagus. It's, it's the Greek letters for a name. Commentators look at that and look up, indeed, Sizagus. Who is Sizagus? And historians have looked all the way through, you know, this time period, and nobody can find a Sizagus. And so they said, he doesn't exist. And so since he doesn't exist, they've taken his name out, and they've inserted the meaning of Sizagus, which is true, command, true companion. So, but I see it as a real person. And, and Paul, even true companion, is like, who is Paul's true companion? Who is it? Well, then you've got to guess. Well, I don't know which one is, which of his companions is, is the true companion he's talking about here. Does it really matter? I guess your view. Not a big point. The point is, he's talking about somebody. So he's just talked about two ladies who are not in harmony. Then he mentions a third person. Indeed. It's like indeed. Second principle. True companion or Sizagus. Sizagus, I ask you. So this third person, I ask you also to help these women. So it's not a private affair. These women are now being pointed out. And this man, I think, Sizagus said, I want you to get involved. And then he mentions a fourth, look, um, who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also. So a fourth person is brought in. And then what? The rest of my fellow workers, the whole church is brought in. It's not a private affair. It's a matter of community. Yodia, Syntyche, y'all have got a crisis. You're divided. Your views aren't aligned, not standing firm in the Lord, need to deal with it. Sizagus, you help them. Clement, you might ought to help them too. If that's not enough, the rest of you get involved and help them. And you see, that's, that's really the whole uh, aspect of church discipline that we understand and know in the scriptures. You find it in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. It's the same principle. Um, we sometimes think uh, discipline is, is a bad thing. Uh, no, it's a good thing. It's a loving thing. It's something that uh, we, we have to do to, to grow. In uh, Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, Now if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So one of you is offended by another of you. Y'all get together. It's a matter of crisis. And, and work it out. 
And then the second step, is, it says here, verse 16, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that's Sizagus. Maybe Clement also with you. I would, I would much prefer Yodia and Syntyche to work it out. But if they can't do it, Sizagus, you go too. And Clement, maybe you also go. Let's, let's bring the pressure of the community to deal with the problem and create a firmness in the Lord we can all agree on. That's what's being asked for. And then the third step in, in discipline, and if that doesn't work, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And that may mean going to the elders first, the leaders of the church, and they may bring in other people. But the whole concept is it's a community matter. There should be no division among us. And we're here to love one another. And love one another means we get involved in one another's life when divisiveness is among us. And we fix it by coming back to a firm stance and place in the Lord. So see, maintaining peace is not only a crisis matter, it's a community matter. What's your part? What's your part? So if, you know, your part is to be one with one another, if you've got to determine your part, if you can't succeed in that, then you've got to go and get one more. Get your Sizagus. Get your Clement. And say, come help me. And if that doesn't work, then you go to someone else in the church. The elders say, come help us. We must be one as God in Christ and the Father are one. Third principle, maintaining Christian peace is a matter of character. And the character mentioned in this text, we've looked at verses 2 and 3. The, the character mentioned in this text begins really in verse 4. It, it's rejoicing. Um, it's gentleness, verse 5. It's prayer, verse 6. Um, it's, it's this faith that God's going to guard us, verse 7. Now let's look at that, that character that God is requiring uh, us to maintain peace with one another. First of all, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. That sounds to me like an unreasonable request in the midst of conflict, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't feel like rejoicing when, uh, you know, you disagree with me because you're crazy. You know, or you think I'm crazy and we don't feel like rejoicing with one another. We feel like fighting one another. And so God said, no, no, I got a different character for you all together. I want you to rejoice. And again, I know this is difficult. So let me say it again. Rejoice. How? In the Lord. Notice, notice this word rejoice is surrounded by just the, the, the probably the, the, the richest concept in the, in the text. Ver, the last phrase of verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. And then rejoice, how? In the Lord. So what's surrounding this word rejoice? In the book of life, in the Lord. And rejoice is sandwiched in. So these phrases are somehow modifying that word. It's, it's explaining that foundation for rejoicing. Why, what are you going to rejoice about? Rejoice that their names are in the book of life 
or take it on the other side, rejoice that we together or they together are in the Lord. See, that's pretty significant. I can rejoice about that. And it's a good reminder that if there's someone I am uh, divided against, to remind myself, and this works for me over and over and over, to remind myself the person that I disagree with, the person who disagrees with me, we together have our names recorded in the book of life. We're going to spend eternity together. We, of all the people in the nation, of all the people in the world, have been particularly singled out, and our names have been written down in God's book. We have an inheritance together. We are both in the Lord. We are both individuals for whom Christ died. Christ shed his blood for you, not just for me. If Christ saw fit to purchase you with his blood, can I not rejoice in that? Can I not rejoice that I have a secure future and it's with you and you with me? That's what's special. That's what's significant here. Just rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Our names are in the book of life. We are together in the Lord. Our passion is to stand firm in the Lord. That doesn't happen with just everybody. That's somebody I can lay down myself to. Now, what does it remind me of? It reminds me that it's not about me. It's about the Lord. When you want to fight, just tell me, can you... Uh, it's, it's, it's we, there's things that we need to fight for in the Lord, yes. But most of the time, that's not what we're doing. Like I said, there's nobody even asking me, what's the Lord's position? It's just I just want to know what your position is. And you want to know what my position is. And then we want to fight. We, we've got to get to the place. How, how, how do we get in the book of life? How do we get in the Lord? You all know it here. It's we're saved by what? Grace, amazing grace. Not by your works. You didn't get in the book of life by works. You didn't get in the book of life by having the right view. You didn't get in the book of life by your intelligence. You didn't get in the book of life by voting Democrat or voting Republican. You didn't get in the book of life by anything that has to do with your works, intelligence, or good looks. You got in the book of life by grace. I am not good. None of us are good. No, not one. I am not good, but I am in the Lord. We don't get that. If we got that, I'm not good, then I can lay down my view. My view is probably not that good. But I'm in the Lord. And I can rejoice in that. Because that takes me from here to there. That gets me home safely. Being in the book of life. I don't have to worry about my future. I'm in the book. I'm in the Lord. Go to that person you're divided with, against and with and say, you know, I'm not good. I'm really not. I probably don't get it. 
Probably not that smart. Not much to look at. But I'm in the Lord. I'm in the Lord. I think you are too. Why don't we start there? Why don't we just work on that? What a, what a change of character. That's the character we need. That we, our foundation is being in Christ. Not being the one who can articulate our view stronger and more influentially than others. But being in Christ. Second characteristic that he mentions, look at this. Boy, I don't have time to develop it. This is lost my place in Philippians, but it's, it's gentleness. Verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Wow. Don't be known for the fight. Be known for a gentleness. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us. Come and lead us. Let that gentleness be known to all men. Especially these people we're divided with. So there needs to be a gentleness. Like, yeah, David doesn't agree with me. He doesn't have the same view with me. But he appreciates me. He's sensitive to me. He's gentle with me. And he's always leading me back to being in the Lord. So he's somebody I can agree to disagree with. Because there's a gentleness there that breaks that division, that division down. Isn't that what we need? That's the characteristic that he's asking for in this, uh, this uh, time of div- divisiveness. And then the, the fourth one, uh, verse uh, 6. Drop in the anxiousness. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Are you not anxious with, for people to agree with you? I want you on my side. I want us together to fight. God says, no, 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 lay all that down. Anxious for nothing. You, you've got requests. You've got supplications. Why don't you give them to the Lord? Instead of keep trying to fight other people. It's like Joel said a minute ago. He could spend a lot of time talking to us. But, but how many times do we say, but I, I need far more just to talk to the Lord. I need, I need to pray. More and more and more. I need to make let God know my supplications. Let God know my requests. Um, it's prayer. So, so important. And then the characteristic of just trust. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have that much faith? That if you don't get your view. That if you don't get your way. That if the church doesn't open when you want it to open, that if it doesn't do the things you want to do, if you have prayed, if you've been gentle, you've prayed, do you have enough faith to say, I'm going to be all right. God's going to guard me. I trust God to guard me. God knows what he wants from me. That's that's a rest in Christ through humility that's so badly needed today that the world needs to see. Yet we're prudent. We seek to be wise. We seek to make safeguards. We seek to be sensitive and gentle. 
We seek to embrace different views and try to bring us all to a place of unity in the Lord. We seek all of that. But if we don't get it, we still rest at peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. People say, how are you, you so confident that you're okay? Because I'm guarded by Christ. Remember, my, my name's in the book. I'm already going to get home safely. I don't have to secure my own safety for heaven. I will arrive safely home. And I'm guarded by Christ all the way there, every step. Do we have that kind of character, of re, uh, the ability to rejoice, be gentle, to pray, and to trust? That's our step forward. That's clearly part of what God wants us to do. Fourth principle, maintaining Christian peace is a matter of contemplation. You get verse 8, which again is one of those popular verses that's kind of snatched out of context and just thrown into uh, lots of areas. Uh, it applies a lot of places. I, I don't mean to be negative about that. But I want you to see it in the context of divisiveness. Finally, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, first of all, he's saying, I want you to, basically, I want you to start thinking better thoughts, right? Why? Renewing our mind is a prerequisite to reforming our behavior. You're not going to start acting better unless you start thinking better. And so, finally, brethren, he said, let's, let's talk about what we think about first. And we need to think differently in order to behave differently. One of the things I often tell a couple who's constantly fighting with one another, like put a post-it note on your head and write on the post-it note, not your enemy. So important. I said, when you look at your husband, when you look at your wife, I want you to see, what does it say there? It says, not your enemy. Why do I want them to see that? Because I want them to quit treating each other like they're each other's enemies. If that person is not your enemy... Why are you fighting them? If you're on the same team, why are you not on the same team? And then after you get, finally recognize this, yeah, that person's not my enemy. That's the person that loves me better than anybody. That's the person I'm maybe not showing it too good right now, but that's, that's that person who's, who's made a vow to me. And that's the person who loves our kids more than anyone, who will die for them. That's not my enemy. Then you transport to, well, what do you know that's true? Well, that's my partner. That's my lover. That's my friend. When you start thinking about what's true, about what's right, about what's pure in this relationship, you start behaving that way. It changes your behavior if you think the right thoughts. We must see that changing what we think about is a prerequisite to uh, changing our behavior. So what do we know even from this text? Is people that we're divided against. Uh, finally, brethren, whatever's true, what would be in Paul's mind? Well, it's true that I, you're in the Lord. It's true that your names are in the book of life. It's true that Christ purchased you with his own blood. Think about what's true. How can you treat badly someone Christ built his blood over? How? 
How can you go against that kind of value God has put on us? By giving us his own blood. He says, so think about what's true that you know about this person in the Lord. Think about uh, what is, you know, what's the next word? What, what is, whatever is honorable. What would be the honorable thing to do here? What would honor God in this relationship? That we start asking what's in the Lord, that we come back to a stance that is distinctly biblical. It's honorable to God. It's right. It's pure, the pure word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. We come back to those things. That would have a good reputation even in the saints of God. If there's anything like that of excellence, anything, you know, dwell on those things. That's the principle being asked for. Then the fifth principle. Maintaining Christian peace is a matter of conduct. It's interesting, verse 9 says, you've seen the conduct. The focus there is on practice. The things you've learned, the received and heard and seen in me, here's the emphasis, practice. See, now if you've got the right thoughts, you need to have the right practice. And you should have seen those from your leader. Paul says, you've seen them in him. You've seen some of this in your leader. Follow that leader. Practice that same practice of being at peace with one another. See, we're still talking about Yodia and Syntyche. Two ladies who couldn't get along. And this is the plan to work it out and to have that peace. There's so much there. I was going to try to keep the service to an hour and a half. So I'm going to slow down. Wind this up, okay? From the first day of the pandemic, when the interim guidelines came out, it's like, I started getting emails and texts, and what are we going to do? So it's a crisis. We've got to do something. We're divided. And as I polled our elders, we didn't all have the same views. So, well, we need to get together. We need to think, what's, what's the right view? What's true and right and honorable for the church? What do we do during this time? And, of course, almost uh, most churches, most churches agreed that if there was the real potential of hospital overrun with COVID-19 cases, then for the love of our neighbor, we, did, we didn't need to let that happen. If we, even if, if our economy suffered, we could close down for a while, do things online, do things differently, and be at peace. And so that's what we chose to do. And then after it's become clear now that hospitals are not overrun, that we've got bed space. If you get COVID-19, there is a place for you to go now. And there's a hospital staff who have uh, had to take pay cuts because they don't have enough patients now. And they're, they're, they're welcoming those patients back. Um, and so now we're divided. Well, do we go back or do we just keep doing what we're doing? Well, from day one, I've had people uh, email or text me and say, don't close, don't close. You should not close. And then I've had other people say, no, you should close until they say we should open. Who is they? The CDC or somebody like that. And then as we've moved a little bit further, I've had people say, it's time to open. Let's open. And I've had other people say, no, don't open until late summer, maybe fall. And that divisiveness just keeps going through that. And there's been times during that communication that I've gotten mad in my own you know, a little cubicle. 
People didn't see it, thankfully. But there's been times, you know, you know I'm sitting down reading this email, and I'm, I'm getting up, and I'm, my head's spinning, and I'm building arguments, and I'm, I'm thinking of how I can, I can just, I can blast you. I, I can tell you, I can put you in your place. And I've thought about that, and I thought, amen. She said, that's wrong. Forgive me. Forgive me. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to be divided with you. I don't want that. I want to love you more and more and more. Because our names are in the book of life together. Because we're in the Lord. I want the character of being able to rejoice with you. That I'm praying everything for you. That I'm trusting everything to Christ. And I'm seeking to firmly be in His view. Not your view and not my view. But that we would be one in Him. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for cultivating disunity when we are one. Forgive us for fighting towards division and divorce when we are one. Father, forgive us for not seeing the crisis soon enough, for not involving the body of Christ completely enough for not rejoicing enough that we are purchased with your blood and seeking to maintain the family of God as that precious vessel you have come to redeem. Father, we thank you for our redemption, for those in this room or those who hear this recording that have no peace with God. We ask that you would grant them that today. That they wouldn't come to see. They can't have peace with man. Until they are in the Lord. Until they have peace with God. Grant them forgiveness. Grant them mercy. Draw them to yourself. And then we, may we be there. To show them the beauty. The love. The joy. That we have found in the Lord. In Christ. We thank you Father for this opportunity. To hear your word. To begin growing in such a way the world might see Christ. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.